Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey everyone, welcome to Summit Church. I'm so glad you're worshiping with us. My name is Mel Massingale. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. No matter how you may be engaging with us this weekend, I'm so glad that you've connected with us. And I'm so glad that you trust us enough to be able to join you, whether you're watching from your home or your workplace, uh, your apartment, whatever it might be, no matter who you're with, we just want to say thank you so much for allowing us to be with you. We pray that God blesses you as you worship with us this weekend. Um, We're in a series right now, and it feels like the series has gone on forever in some ways, just because uh, when we started this, we weren't in quarantine, but we're actually in week nine of a 10-week series called Questions Jesus Asked. And the series is, is just engaging with the questions that Jesus would ask his followers. And the reason he would ask those questions is because he was trying to lead his followers to a place. He was trying to help them get to a place where they saw something differently. And that's really what we've been doing over the last few weeks. So my prayer is that this series has been helpful for you in the season we're in right now. Um, next weekend, we're going to be finishing up this series. And, uh, and we're going to be asking the question next weekend that Jesus asked his followers, who do you say that I am? And we would love for you to give us your feedback on that. Uh, we're going to use your, we need your help, so, so help us out with this. And one of the simplest things you can do is simply take your phone, uh, turn it sideways. We don't want any vertical video, but do a selfie video. You can film it, you can set it up, maybe you and your family even. And we just want to ask you the question, who do you say Jesus is? And we would love to hear your responses. Who is Jesus to you through this series? What is his identity? Uh, Through this season we're in, what has he spoken to you? What is he doing in you? Who is Jesus to you? Uh, And you can record those. It has to be one minute or less. We want to keep it short. And then you can simply email those right from your phone to media at summitpa.church and and give us those videos. And we're going to use those in a couple of different ways, uh, but we need your help. So if you would do that, uh, that would help us so much. So do that this week uh, as quick as you can and help us out. So thank you for helping us with this series. I'm excited about how we're wrapping it up and what it's going to look like. But I just feel like this has been so helpful for me personally as we've gone through this um, to kind of navigate this season. Uh, as I said, we're, we're in week nine of this series, and we're going to pick up today in Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, it's an interesting moment in Jesus's life because Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, uh, he was kind of the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, he is, has kind of laid the groundwork. He was, he was the voice in the wilderness for Jesus. He's the one who baptized Jesus. They were close. Um, John the Baptist had been taken into captivity, and he was killed. He was beheaded. And Jesus, at the beginning of John chapter 14, he hears about this. Um, The followers of John the Baptist come to Jesus, and they let him know. And Jesus withdraws withdraws himself to to just mourn and, and grieve. And so he does this, as any of us would in this situation. And because he is who he is, people followed him. People figured out where he was, and they, they pursued him. And so he performed some miracles uh, with the, the, the thousands of people that showed up. And uh, Scripture tells us in Matthew 14 that they were in this wilderness area. And so Jesus instructs his disciples to go and, and 
get food for these people. And they say, we don't have any food. And this is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. So we talked about feeding the 4,000 um, in John chapter uh, 8, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago. But, um, but this is the feeding of the 5,000 that happens before that. So he feeds the 5,000, and then we pick up right at the end of this story. So this is starting in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, and this is what it says. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So Jesus tells his followers, his, his close disciples, you guys get into the boat, you go across the sea to the other side, I'll meet you there, let me finish up here. Jesus was my kind of pastor. I like Jesus because uh, he didn't just preach and teach and leave. Uh, he stuck around. He wanted to be with the people. He wanted to connect with them. And that's what he did. And I love these kind of preachers. And this is what Jesus does. So verse 23 says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When, every, uh, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat, so the boat that the disciples were in, by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, a couple things I want to point out. Number one, the humanity of Christ uh, drives him to a place. He's still grieving. He's still mourning the loss of his cousin in this moment. He has to be because he's, he's human. Um, and sometimes we forget that, that Jesus was human, that Jesus grieved and mourned. And so when he, again, takes time by himself to pray, I can imagine uh, that he is not just a robot, that he is still hurting from this in spite of the ministry, in spite of the help, in spite of what he's doing, he's still hurting because of the loss of his cousin. And so one of the things I love about this passage, though, is it says that the evening came and he was alone, but the boat by this time was a long way off. It was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. So the disciples had set off in this boat and the waves were beating this boat up because it says the wind was against them. And I want you to know something. There are many times that, that we are doing something that Jesus has called us to do. He gave them instructions, you go. And there are many times we're doing things that Jesus has called us to do and it feels hard, it feels difficult. It feels like the wind is against us and everything seems hard. And just because something seems hard doesn't mean Jesus didn't tell us to do it. So I want you to know something. Just because you're experiencing resistance in your life doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Sometimes you're doing exactly what Jesus asked you to do, but you're still experiencing resistance in your life. So don't take that as a sign that you need to stop doing what you're doing. If Jesus has told you to do it, you keep doing it. Resistance is not a problem if Jesus told you to do it. But I also want you to know this. Jesus recognized where they were. He knew that this boat was a long way from land. He knew that the waves were beating against the boat. And he knew that they were sailing against the wind. He recognized all that. He knows that. And I want you to know, no matter where you're at, Jesus sees you. He recognizes where you are. And he has not forgotten about where you're at. Verse 25 says this, and in the fourth watch of the night, this is between 3 and 6 a.m., uh, between 3 and 6 a.m., these men are in the boat, and it says, during the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So between 3 and 6 a.m., they've been battling the sea, and I imagine some of them might have been asleep. They're weary. They're groggy. Um, they're, they're just trying to get to the other side, and they see something. And it says in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, verse 27 says, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, 
Do not be afraid. So again, imagine this. Um, these guys were, they were weary, they were exhausted, they had just done a lot of ministry, and now they're in the boat and they're working really hard to get to where they're supposed to be. It's the middle of the night between 3 and 6 a.m. I imagine they're physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted, and then they encounter Jesus walking on the water. And they were not expecting to see Jesus walking on the water, so it freaks them out a little bit. I've told you before, one of the most terrifying things that will ever happen in your life is if you're a parent and you're sound asleep and you wake up with a child standing next to your bed. It's even more terrifying if it's not your child. That will freak you out big time. But even if it's your child standing there, they're just standing there looking at you, it will scare you. You are awake at that point. And I can imagine the disciples were in the boat and they're working, they're doing their thing, they're tired, they're exhausted, and they see something and they're like, no, surely my, my senses are playing tricks on me. And they recognize, no, 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 there's a guy on the water. And they weren't expecting it to be Jesus because he was doing something that was unexpected. He was doing something new. And anytime Jesus does something unexpected or does something new in your life, it will terrify us. It will freak us out. It will scare us at times because we see Jesus doing something that we've never done before. So even if it's a good thing, there are times that it freaks us out. So that's why throughout scripture, we see an angel of the Lord show up and the angel says, fear not. We see Jesus show up after his resurrection. He literally just walks into a room and he immediately tells them, fear not. Why? Because when Jesus does something we're not expecting him to do, it will scare us. It will freak us out a little bit. And so he says, fear not, right? He says, don't be afraid. And he says this immediately to them. He doesn't wait around. Uh, and I want you to know this. Jesus isn't intentionally trying to scare them or put them in a state of fear. What he's doing is trying to get to where they are. He's trying to display his, his deity, who he is to them. And in this moment, he's pastoring them when he says, fear not. Don't be afraid of what you see. It's okay. It's, it's just me. Um, verse 28 says this. And Peter answered him. So when they, they realize it's Jesus, Peter answers him and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, me being the person I am, I was looking at this passage and I thought, what if it wasn't Jesus? What if it was some other being who's on the water, are they gonna be like, well, it's not really me, Jesus, so don't come to the water, uh, don't come out here. I can imagine that if it wasn't really Jesus, that could have posed a big problem for these guys. And another thing, I'm just thinking in terms of myself, uh, if you have siblings, you would understand this. Uh, when I was a kid, I slept in a bed with my sister because I was, scared, I was scared of the dark. And I stopped doing that after I got to be about 17 years old, I was much better. But, but when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark and my sister sometimes would make me sleep closest to the door because she knew if somebody came in, they would get me first. Um, and so that's what true siblings do. And, and so I'm thinking through this, and, and I was thinking, if I was in that position, would I, like Peter, have said, hey, bid me to come to you, Jesus? And I realized I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have said something like, Jesus, if it's really you, tell Andrew to walk to you on the water. Or, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, ask one of these guys to come to you. I want to see that happen. I don't want to experience that, though. I don't want to be the one on the water. If we're going to be honest, many of us would have been the same way. I want to see that. I don't know if I want to experience that, though. So, so Peter says, full of faith, full of his, his passion, who he was. Hey, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out 
on the water, the stormy seas with the wind and the waves, and he begins to walk toward Jesus. Verse 30 says this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And our question for today that Jesus asked is this, why did you doubt? I love the fact that Jesus doesn't even wait for him to get back to the boat, because what we see in the next verse is they get back to the boat and immediately the storm ceases and everything is calm uh, because just the presence of Jesus makes that happen. But Jesus doesn't wait to get to the boat to say that. He literally reaches out his hand to rescue Peter. And in that moment, he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think that's interesting that he didn't wait. In that moment, he engages him in that conversation. He asks him that question, why did you doubt? Now, the thing I love about this, and it's a little different than a question we asked a few weeks ago. Um, the question we asked a few weeks ago, um, in the middle of March, we did a, the question, do you believe? And this is a very different question because why did you doubt is past tense. When you were going through that, why did you doubt? Now, do you believe is in the middle of the situation. Do you believe that you can walk on water? Do you believe that I can heal you? In, in the midst of the situation. But, but why did you doubt is on the back end. See, Peter has already experienced the saving power of Christ in this moment because Jesus has rescued him. He's pulled him out of the water. And he asked him the question, why did you doubt? In that moment, why were you afraid? In that moment, what caused you to do what you did. Um, and I think Jesus in some ways was asking the question, in that moment, did you forget all the miracles that I've done? In that moment, did you forget who I am and what you've seen of me? And maybe the most important thing, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking some liberty with scripture, but I believe Jesus might've asked the question, do you remember that you asked for this? Do you remember that you said, hey, bid me to walk to you on the water, and then you asked me to rescue you from what you asked me to do? And I realized in this situation, so many of us are the same way. We pray for something, we ask God to do something, and when he does it, we beg him to rescue us from it. Hey, God, open up doors of opportunity for me to share the gospel with my neighbors. And then God opens up the doors of opportunity. We go, no, 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 God, send somebody else. God, uh, give me this person. If you'll just give me this person in relationship, my life will be perfect. And then God gives you that person. You go, God, get me out of this relationship. So many times we pray for things and we say, God, I need you to help me with this. I need you to rescue me from this. Maybe I didn't actually want this after all, but I'm telling you, Peter asked, hey, send, let me come to you. Let me walk on the water with you. And then Jesus says, why did you doubt? He's asking him, why, why, did, you, why did you question the very thing you asked for? You asked for, you had enough faith to step out of the boat. Why did you begin to doubt? What we see in verse 30, it says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, you can't really see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. I grew up in Oklahoma uh, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain, okay? Uh, you see lots of impact from the wind, um, whether it's a shingle blown off or it's a tornado or whatever, you, you see the effects, you don't always see the wind. And so what we see here is that Peter didn't see the wind. What he saw was the effects of the wind. He saw the waves. He saw how big the waves were in this moment. Uh, and I want you to know this. The waves seem a lot smaller from the boat. From the safety of the boat, the waves don't seem nearly as imposing as they do when you're walking through it. 
It's one thing to witness the waves from the safety of the boat, and it's another thing to experience the waves with Jesus as your only form of protection. When Jesus is the only thing preventing you from sinking, things get very real in that moment. Um, See, he experienced the sea differently in that moment than he ever had before. He had experienced it lots of times in the safety of the boat. He had experienced it from the boat fishing or sailing or doing the things that he did, but he had never experienced it walking on it. And this changed his outlook, it changed his experience, and and it was terrifying for him. And I want you to know something. Many of you have never experienced life the way you're experiencing it right now before. You've always experienced it from the safety of a boat, and you've never experienced it with the waves lapping over your head and and wondering if you're going to make it with the only safety being Jesus Christ. So for you, you might be terrified right now. You might be afraid of what's to come. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you're dealing with issues because of shortages, because of setbacks, because of all the different things in our culture. And I want you to know something. You're experiencing life in a new way. But if Jesus is with you, you have nothing to fear. Because your view is a little different because you're no longer in the boat. But Jesus is still with you. So one of the questions I've asked myself is this. Why do we perceive the boat as safe and walking with Christ on the water as dangerous? Why do we perceive one as relatively safe and one as dangerous? And the answer is that we trust the boat more than we do Jesus. Many times we trust what we've experienced, what we have, what we know more than the unknown, even if Christ is resident in it. And maybe for you, your boat might be your job or your income or your social standing. It might be your house. It might be your possessions. It might be your children's achievements athletically or academically. Those are your safe places. Those are the things you know. And the moment those things are taken away from you, the moment you have to step out of your boat into an unknown, it is terrifying. And and we're afraid. And what happens is we begin to sink. And in that moment, Jesus says to us, hey, you had enough faith to get out of the boat, but why did you doubt? What caused you to question whether you should have gotten out of the boat or not? Why did you doubt? And I keep coming back to this fact, this idea that, again, I'm putting myself in Scripture, that, that there's something in me that feels like I'd be safer if I just stayed in the boat. Things would have been better if I just stayed in the boat. It wouldn't have been as risky. It wouldn't have been as challenging. Because let's be honest, I'm not sure I can trust a Savior who invites me into a dangerous place. It seems reckless. It seems wild. Why would I trust a Savior to do that when I could stay in the boat and be safe? Many of us live our lives that way. We, we want to trust Jesus. We want to walk with him. But we never, ever, ever want to get out of the boat because that is our safe place. And I want you to know this. Jesus has invited us to a lifestyle not of safety, but of, of dangerous trust. Jesus wants us to trust him in dangerous ways. Not in foolish ways. Not in reckless ways. But in, in ways that we say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you even if you lead me into a stormy sea. I'm going to trust you. Jesus, I'm going to trust you even if it leads me into a battle. Jesus, I'm going to trust you even if it leads me into uncharted territory, into the terra incognita. God, I choose to trust you no matter what. And it will seem dangerous and it will seem reckless to the world. But to those of us who trust Christ, it's going to be normal. That's part of what we do. That's part of who we are. See, we have to understand that it's actually safer to be in the storm with Christ if he's invited us into it. If Jesus has invited us into a storm, his presence is all we need to mitigate the danger. See, the safety of the boat 
pales in comparison to the safety of Christ when he's invited us there. It feels dangerous. It feels like we're out of control, but I want you to know this. There is safety in Christ no matter what our circumstances appear like. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 6, and I want to share it with you, and I feel like it's important for us. Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I read a story recently that, that talked about, in ancient times, how there was a custom and a tradition where kings of a conquering army would take the robe of the vanquished king and they would cut a piece off and they would add it to their own robe. So the bigger the robe was, the more indicative it was of a king's authority and power. So the more swatches, the more pieces of vanquished king's robes you had on your robe, the more indicative it was of who you were and how you were a conqueror and how you had power and might. And what Isaiah says in this moment is he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, this earthly king, when he died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe knew no ends. What he's saying is our God, the God that I witnessed, the God that I saw, he is a conquering God. He is a powerful God. He is a God that submits to no one and nothing. He is the God who overcomes all circumstance and all situations that cancer bows to its knee to Jesus Christ. That is who our God is. The situations and circumstance, coronavirus, everything you can imagine, it has been conquered by the God we serve. And it's proof, if you look at his robe, the train of his robe fills the temple. He goes on to say, above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, the reason they say holy, holy, holy is because they don't have a term in their language like we do for most. So we might say most holy. But the more times they would say something, the more uh, the more emphasis was put on that word. So what they're saying is, he is the most holy. They weren't stuttering. They weren't trying to get their words right. They were saying, holy, holy, holy. There is none as holy as you, is what they were saying. He is the most holy. And verse four says this, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So all this is going on, and Isaiah is having this vision, and he's, he's seeing what's going on in the heavenly, and he hears the voice of God, and it shakes the foundations, and he sees these angels that are beyond imagination, and they are crying out, and they're worshiping God, and they, he sees the train of God's robe as it fills the temple. He sees all this, and it is beyond what he can communicate. It's beyond what he can imagine. And in verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is, I'm a normal, average guy. I should not be seeing what I'm seeing, experiencing what I'm experiencing. I'm not worthy of any of this. I, I shouldn't be experiencing any of this. And so he says, Woe to me. Surely I'm going to die in the presence of this holy, righteous God. And it, with everything I'm seeing and experiencing, I am way out of my depth which we would all feel that way. And he was right to feel that. 
Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. In this moment, the angel is saying, You belong here because you've been cleansed. You've been atoned for. Your sin is gone. So, so you have no reason to fear or be ashamed. You belong in this place. You are invited into this place. Verse 8 says, And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. This man who just a moment before had said, I don't belong here, I'm in over my head, uh, this is way too much for me. God is inviting me into something. I don't belong here. I'm a sinner. He looked at all the reasons he didn't belong, but, but God said, you do belong. And in this moment where God said, who can we use? Isaiah says, here I am. Here, here I am, send me. Use me. Even though I feel like the situation is beyond what I'm comfortable with, like this is something I've never experienced or known or seen, I'm willing. So, so here I am, send me. See, it's reminiscent, this, this idea is reminiscent of what Peter said. They're all standing in the boat. They all see Jesus standing out there. And Peter has this moment when he says, I want to be with him. I just want to be where he's at. I want to experience what he's experiencing. So, so, so Jesus, if it's you, command me to come to you. Send me, Jesus. Don't send Andrew. Don't send any of these other guys. Send me. Let me come to where you are. And in that moment of faith, that moment of confidence where he says, hey, I've never done that. I've never experienced that. Send me. He steps out. But the problem is he begins to doubt. He begins to realize maybe I should have stayed in the boat. Maybe I should have trusted the boat more than I'm trusting Jesus. And I think many of us, we want to be the one who says, here I am, send me. But we recognize before we even get out of the boat that maybe the boat is safer. Maybe the boat is where we belong. Maybe, maybe we'll leave the walking on water stuff to, to people that are more qualified Christians. Maybe, maybe they're a little more mature in their faith because I don't belong. I don't, I'm not supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. And what we don't want to experience is Jesus asking the question, why did you doubt? So we just play it safe and we stay in the boat because we don't want to live dangerously. We don't want to be reckless. When the whole time Jesus is inviting us to be where he's at, in the middle of the waves, in the middle of the storm, where it seems dangerous, where it seems reckless for us to be out there, that's what he's inviting us into. He's inviting us into the place where we say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't belong here. He's inviting us into that place. And he's asking this question, why did you doubt? And for many of us, the reason we doubt is we simply trusted the boat more than we trusted him. So my challenge to you today is really simple. Will you learn to trust him? Will, will you get to know him better so when he invites you into the, the storm, when he invites you into the battle, when he invites you into the hard place, we won't retreat to the, the safety of the boat, but we'll understand that the safest place we could possibly be is with Jesus, whether it's in the storm or in the battle. No matter where it may be, the safest place we can find is with him if we'll simply trust him. Maybe you're watching this and you've had experiences where you stepped out and you seemingly failed and you had that moment where you felt like, man, why did I doubt? 
I don't want you to have to ask yourself that question again. I want you to recognize the fact that Jesus is the one we can trust and put our hope and faith in. That there's no reason in the middle of a stormy sea that we shouldn't get out of the boat if he invites us to. If he invites us to walk with him, that's where I want you to be. So that's my challenge to you today is, are you willing Are you willing to trust Jesus more than you trust the boat? Are you willing to trust Jesus more than you trust the things that you've known in your life, the things that you've been comfortable with in your life? Are you willing in the season we're in to set aside some things and say, Jesus, I just want to know you more. I just want to be where you are. So if that means it's in the middle of the storm, bid me come to you. I'm going to go there. Send me. That's my prayer for you today. I want to close in prayer and, uh, and I would like all of you just to pray with me right now. So no matter where you're at, I would love for you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And I just want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that we can come together all over the United States and all over the world for that matter. And we can worship you. That we can, we can see who you are and what you've done. That we can have a revelation of your goodness and your grace. That we can recognize uh, through your word that, that we can trust you in greater ways than we ever have before. And God, I just want to ask you right now, forgive us of the times that we've trusted the boat more than we've trusted you. Forgive us for the times that we've trusted the safety of what we've known or experienced in our past more than we've trusted you. I pray that you would let a spirit of trust and faith rise up in in your children, that we would step out into every storm that you invite us into, that we would walk boldly into every battle that you invite us into, that God, every difficult season that you invite us into, we would walk into boldly and confidently knowing you are in control and the safest place we can be is with you if you're there in that storm. So God, I pray that you'd open up our eyes to that realization. I pray that you'd minister in those that that have a hard time trusting you and putting their faith in you. Let today be the day that we surrender our whole lives to you, that we, we invite you in to be Lord of our lives today. Lord, for those Christians people that have confessed you as Lord that are still struggling, give them faith today, encourage them today, bless them today. Help them take bold steps of faith in you today whenever you invite us to. Help us to hear your voice and respond to your voice boldly and confidently. In your name we pray, amen. Now listen, if you're watching this today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never invited him to be Lord of your life, or maybe you have, that maybe you were a child, or maybe, maybe you said a prayer a long time ago, but you kind of walked away from your faith. I want you to know something. God has never walked away from you. He's never forgotten you. He's never abandoned you. And if you would like to come back to your faith, or maybe you want to make a decision for Christ for the very first time, today is your day. We would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. In fact, uh, we're, we're engaging with people all over the United States in this process right now. People that have said, yes, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yes, I want to invite him in. And, and we're helping them pray that prayer, but then take the step to begin to grow in their faith. So I want to help you do the same thing as well. Scripture tells us in Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so it really is as simple as saying a prayer with our mouth and believing what we're saying in the core of who we are in our hearts. So I want to lead you in a prayer today. And no matter where you are, no matter where you're watching this from, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. So if you would pray this prayer with me, Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I repent of my sin and I turn towards you. I'm going to chase after you for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. 
I trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, the word of God tells us there literally is a party going on in heaven if even one person responds. And I know that there are people responding right now. So thank you so much. If you have made Jesus Lord of your life today, if you have invited him in, there's a few things that you can do. The first thing is this. You can simply text the word different to the number 94,000. So text different to 94000. You can do that. We're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna get some information to you. And we're gonna get you uh, some resources in the mail to help you begin to grow in your faith. Uh, if, if you're watching from one of our live platforms, if you're watching from live.summitpa.church, you can hit the connect button at the top of the screen. You could also hit the, the raise hand button that's there in the comment section if you'd like. Let us know that you're making a decision for Jesus today and then fill out the connect card for us and just tell us about who you are so we can get you those resources as well. So connect with us. Let us know about the decision you've made, but we want to help you take the next step. We want to help you grow in your faith. And I know for some of you, responding to this message today is terrifying because it's something you've never experienced before. It's something new. And when Jesus shows up in a new way, it's terrifying. So I want you to know that's you shouldn't feel weird for that. It's common, and we want to help you take the next step. So guys, I want you to know I'm excited about what God's doing, even in the season we're in. I cannot wait to be with you again soon. Uh, even for those of you that, that uh, are awkward introverts, I'm going to be giving you big hugs when I see you. I can't wait to see you guys. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.